0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It has been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollar on, and it can lead to a serious case of not knowing what to play next. I know I suffer from that. Uh, And I guess that's the point of this podcast, is to dig into the games that both my guests and I have been enjoying playing, uh, that we like the look of. It's to talk about industry events, and uh, it's to talk to to the people who create these games. And today uh, is one of those days, and we are very lucky to have uh, a a guest on with a huge list of uh, bona fides, so to speak. Um, A man who's had his fingers in many game systems, both as part of Games Workshops, Design Studio... Uh, part of Warlord Games Studio, and now uh, he's gone completely independent. Uh, and I'm so excited to talk about uh, a game of samurai in medieval Japan today. Graham Davy, welcome to Cast Ice. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, man, I'm so keen to talk shop. Um, now, I am going to go off on a tiny little bit of a preamble, but it will go into... Uh, where you're going to go, sir. So bear with me for one second. When I grew up in Japan, in grade three, I believe, I was like 10 years old, on Friday nights, um, my family and I would turn on the TV, and there would be very little on um, that I understood, not speaking Japanese at that point, uh, and just watching regular network television. But late night, Friday night, after the news, my parents uh, would go to bed, and I would not have a curfew for one night and they were and there was a television show whose name was I believe it was Hisatsu and it was something along the lines of if you translated directly blood party and that sounds really grim in Japanese but (laughs) it was a samurai drama where it was an hour long and there was like 45 to 50 minutes of horrible injustices being done by bad people and then the last ten to fifteen minutes was this elite squad of assassins slash Ronin slash samurai who would get together and hire each other to right the wrongs, to to bring order back to society uh, in medieval Japan. And of course, I'm watching this, not understanding a word of it, um but in you know, inferring everything, but it was truly fantastic, uh, classic samurai drama. and I think that is why I'm so excited about Test of Honor as a game because, as you've said in other places, it's a game with a hardcore historical setting. It is absolutely has a place in history, but it is a narrative-driven game that allows you to recreate the best drama, um, energy, and excitement from samurai movies of all ages. Am I, am I getting that right?
1: Yes, we were very much inspired by... Oh, well, in our case, um, uh, samurai movies, uh, kurosawa stuff mainly. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, so yeah, it was. It is a historical game, but we wanted to get that cinematic feel. So, so that's that's the the, the buzz phrase I always use is that it's a kind of a cinematic game, um, and that that crops up in in all aspects of of how the game was created and um, Lots of the mechanics and uh, and particularly in I guess in in the way you, you choose your your side for a game of Test of Honor. Mm. Uh, it's not based on a, on um, it's not a military game. Obviously, lots of war games are based on military units. Mm-hmm. Um, Test of Honor, you can literally choose what you want. Um, yeah. So you can have some Ronin, some monks, some loyal samurai, uh, some bandits, um, and put them all together and and create whatever story you're imagining in your head. So you could totally recreate the some of the action that you've just been talking about.
0: Absolutely, um,
1: you can have a military force of of Ashigaru and samurai if you want, but um, you, you're not tied to that. Um, and that was that was very important to me. Always in my head was the, uh, the idea of various buddy moves. You always have these mismatched pair of pair of people who would never get along in normal life, mm-hmm. forced together to fight together and, and save the day at the end of the film. Um, so that's very much what I had in mind with the game.
0: And I, that, and I mean, you really have leaned into that, um, not only in the way that you can create, uh, war bands, parties, um, Groups in this game uh, by having the expansion Unlikely Allies, which is literally a group of, and I'll let you explain it. Um, but I love that the narrative is literally sort of the five-second speeches. It's guys who are hanging out in a tea house.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we've got a uh, an Ashigaru deserter. We've got an envoy from the clans. There's the uh, the lady hostess of the tea house. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a roving. It's a whole mix of of random, random characters um, brought together, and that set really encapsulates kind of uh, my vision for the game, really. Uh, and Andy Hobday, who who worked with me on it when we first came up with it in Warlord. Um, we also another key aspect that I wanted to have was that that moment that you always see in the films and the TV shows where uh, the the hero goes on uh, this amazing rampage of swordplay of mm-hmm. uh, cutting down seven, seven bad guys in a row. Uh, so I carefully kind of built that into the game. Um, so there's always this chance that every time you make an attack and kill someone, you can instantly go on and attack someone else and, create a whole chain of kills. Um, nice. Uh, so, so that that cinematic element is, is there as, in that case as well. Um, well.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit about that mechanic because uh, for those of us who have played games like Bolt Action, um, where there is like a dice bag and each side has dice representing units in their army and when you pull it out, you get to activate activate a unit in your particular army. Test of Honor is similar in that you have the bag and you're pulling things out, but it's different in that you have particular chits for or tokens for your uh, peasants, um, Ashigaru, uh, you know Ronin, different low-level people, and then on top of that you also have sort of hero chips, and then you have like your your overall superhero sort of chits where you have but the heroes have more chits and they're a different type than the the base sort of peasants as you will but then adding to that on top of that you have three fate tokens so whereas in a game of bolt action not to go back to but this is the mechanic that a lot of people are familiar with you pull everything out until the turn is done um in test of honor when you get to your third fate token pulled out the turn ends and, you st- and then the ne- turn starts again. Um, that is, uh, that r- sort of, unlike bolt action where sometimes folks want to strategically hold themselves back and then, you know, go for that gotcha at the end so that you can try and double up your activations, you don't know when those fate tokens are coming in Test of Honor, so you have to really sort of manage. It's an extra level of, ooh, do I go now or do I wait? How, do I, how far forward do I go? Do I only get half of my forces up? Um, and so that really, and then you might get a hero that activates three times uh, in the course of a turn, whereas someone else only might get once. And so that really does, as you say, lean into that cinematic narrative of heroes doing more, but also the tactics on top of that.
1: Yeah, we we actually when we were kind of played first coming up with the game, we we started off with uh, with the bolt action mechanic actually, um, and what we found was because you have these heroes which are awesome um, and the kind of normal guys who are a bit rubbish, so you imagine they're the extras in the film who are pretty much there to die. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you'd either if you needed to kill someone quick kind of sending your hero as your very first go or because of the way the mechanics work wait till the end when everyone else has had their actions and can't defend themselves anymore Uh, and it got really predictable Um, so the system we changed to as as you touched upon there is that the the token you pull out don't belong to one side or another you just take turns um, but you will either pull out a token for your followers, which is all the the normal guys, or for your characters. Um, and you always have one hero and one or two companions um, who uh, you can imagine are the main characters of the film. Right. Um, so when it's your turn, you, you can't be sure who you're going to get to use. Um, if you pull out a hero token, you have to use it on a hero. Um, and then as you say you've got the the three fake tokens and when the last one gets drawn that ends the turn so it usually goes more or less to to, to using everyone's turns up but um you can't be sure of that and mm-hmm. occasionally the, the three three tokens have come out quite quickly and the turn ends and you didn't get to do what you wanted to do at all so you have to be a little bit aware of that
0: uh, it is also cool that the first two that you pull out aren't just dead pulls. Um, fake cards then occur, right? And then that, or sorry, skill cards uh, then go on your heroes. Is that right? So it's like yeah. those those moments happening in the film where your hero does something spectacular.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the the core mechanics of the game are nice and simple um, and very quick and easy to learn. Um, uh, but then we have skill cards, um, which give your hero all these spectacular abilities and uh, create the, the real meat of the game. There's hundreds, at this point, there's hundreds of different skills that are out there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so each time you draw the first two times that those fate tokens come out, you get to draw a skill card and give it to one of your characters. Um, so during the game, they gradually get access to, to more and more abilities. Uh, and that also leads into, there's a kind of a minimal campaign play type thing going on. So if you're playing a series of games with, with the same opponent, uh, at the end of the game, you get to pick one of those skills that you've had uh, to kind of lock in, essentially. And, and you start with that skill in the next game.
0: Now, if you play a third game, do you lock in one new skill, um, as in, do you have two in the third game, or do you are you sort of taking the one that you think best suits your character?
1: Uh, no, once you once you've locked them in, it's called mastering. Mm-hmm. Um, once you've mastered a skill, you've pretty much got it. Nice. Um, uh, it is possible to lose it if you get a bit overconfident, mm-hmm. <laughs> but. Um, But essentially, once you once you've learned that skill, then you're when you've got it. So you need to be a little bit careful with your decision making. Exactly.
0: Well, let's talk quickly about Test of Honor. Um, I know a lot of people were familiar with it, as you say, when it was at Warlord when you were working with Andy. Um, But in recent years, uh, it is Warlord. Sorry, uh, Test of Honor has actually had a really storied traveling path to where it is that has led it to where it is now, where you started at Warlord. Um, it went with you You and Andy, I think it went to Footsore, and now you are in your own company, with which is, of course, Gray for now, um, and you are selling the models through Northstar, but you are publishing and putting the game out independently. Um how is that process I mean that that's a that's that's a very interesting uh journey for a game to undergo um especially w- since when you went to second edition you did that completely independently. Um that that's yeah
1: <laughs> yeah 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 it's a, a little bit complicated of a road. Um so Andy and I came up with a game while while we were both working at Warlord, mm-hmm. um, uh, and then about the same time, Warlord acquired uh, a load of Samurai plastics. That's right from from War Games Factory, mm-hmm. uh, and wanted a vehicle to to sell them, and asked us if we if they could use our game, mm-hmm. uh, which was very cool for us because it meant we got our game published um so we were very happy to do that so i spent a lot of time kind of busily writing up and um finishing the game off uh and it was published and it was very successful for warlord um, then fast forward a couple of years both andy and i had left um we both had our own games companies Mm -hmm. and he was running foot at that point I was I'd started a new company with another friend called room 17 doing board games Mm -hmm. Uh, and we agreed with warlord that we would uh, take over publishing of the game Mm so they handed handed that all over to us, and we, we essentially came away with the with the with the name and the logo, and everything else kind of still belongs to Warlord. So they're still selling the various miniatures that that were produced earlier. That's right. Um, uh, so well, um, Footsaw did release. One set for the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I I then ended what how we ended up doing it was that I set up my company, which is called Grey for Now Games, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is named because of my huge pile of unpainted models. I love that name, by the way. Awesome. <laughs> um, so Grey for Now is essentially just has one brand at this point. Mm-hmm. hopefully hopefully other things in the future but um essentially at this time it just publishes test of honor yeah um and it's just me i do everything um i uh, do all the writing and design work but at the other end of the scale i'm packing boxes and sending out orders yeah um so it's a it's a proper one man one man business um And so at that point, we put together second edition, Mm -hmm. uh, made a few tweaks. It's still essentially the same game as first edition. Um, But it was a chance to just tweak a few things, make sure everything was nicely balanced. uh, And we added in a few new cool things. Yeah. Um, So one of the aspects in, in first edition, which we haven't talked about yet, is Dishonor cards. That's right. So, um, if you attack, if you attack someone, you could take a dishonor card to get a little bonus uh, on your attack. But there's a good chance that something bad will happen later.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, as your, your, your troops lose faith in your leadership because you're you're not behaving very honorably. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was in addition one. In in second edition. Uh, we added in honor cards as the flip side of that. Um, So the decision to take one of these cards happens when, if you attack someone who can't defend themselves. So at that point, you have the choice of taking a dishonor card and just kind of smacking them around the back of the head with your katana. Mm -hmm. uh, Or taking an honor card, which really represents announcing yourself and saying, defend yourself, um, giving them a chance to, uh, to have a, a slight chance in the battle yeah. before you run them through with your sword. Exactly. Uh, and the honor cards will build up the confidence of your troops um, and give you bonuses later in the in the battle. So, there's the flip side, really. I l- I love yeah. this
0: for two big reasons. One, it feels very Japanese. Um, I mean as you said the games um, the the basic mechanics for test of honor are fairly straightforward it's it's a it's a reasonably easy game to pick up but because you've added the layering of the chits have the so you have to make some tactical decisions early about which units you're activating and how and then when you add in how how in a narrative aspect are your, generals, are your models going to be acting honorably or dishonorably because you're adding all of these elements to the game, though the basics are, you know, easy to pick up, there's a lot to it. So it's, it's not easy to master and it's also, it's got the right feel and it isn't like when you act honorably, all of a sudden you turn into a death dealing one man army, the honor and dishonor cards as you say, directly impact how your hero uh, is seen and interacts with the people on his cr- in his crew in his war band. So it it has a very narrative feel as well. It feels like all of these mechanics come straight out of a samurai movie. I'm just imagining a black and white movie, driving rain, samurai facing off one another in the middle of a Japanese city, and it's just it's 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 brilliant. And every time you know, I hear more of these mechanics. I just think God that that fits exactly the tone of the period and of the mentality of the
1: people who would fight there. Yes, it's it's a it's a really interesting culture and I've for I've been obviously done a lot of research and Mm. reading about all the battles and and habits of of the samurai at that age and this it's a real there's, there's real extremes of people doing really horrible things. Oh, and yeah, at the other, other end, doing amazingly honorable actions. Yeah, so I was I was I was reading about um, the Shimazu clan was one of the more uh, the more honorable end of the scale. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and there was they had a they just won a, a battle against one of, one of the invaders um, that had come to their island and they killed the son of the of the enemy enemy lord and the enemy lord was trying to retreat back to it back to their boats with his army uh, only to find that the tide had gone out and there was miles of kind of un- unpassable mud flats oh. uh, blocking his way. He's completely trapped, he was about to commit seppuku, kill himself in, in shame, um, having lost his son. When he receives a letter from the Shimazu clan saying, Oh, we we regret killing your son, uh, we noticed that the mud flats are blocking your way, uh, please just rest safely for the night and safe travels. <laughs> only in Japan, <laughs> only in Japan, um, yeah. And uh, you know the the Shemazu clan are probably the extreme, but they would they would announce themselves before attacking, mm-hmm. um, rather than rather than doing anything underhand or <laughs> create a surprise attack. Um, exactly. Uh, and it's just there's just so many amazing stories like that, and at the other end of the scale, kind of horrible atrocities and mm-hmm. uh, lords. Sacrificing family members for the sake of alliances and things like this—it's um, fascinating.
0: It is, it is, and there are there are some actually some wonderful podcasts and some great books that are are history. Some history books can be a little dry, but if you're digging into, I have half a dozen Japanese history books from the period on my shelf, and there is some fantastic nonfiction texts out there that really dig into this uh, and talk about things that occurred, um, that again, that, that, you know, when I read them years ago, I thought, God, I would love to have this on a tabletop. And here we are. Um, well, let's talk about that also, because you, as you said, you have put out second edition, um, and you've added the honor dishonor cards. Um, but what you also said, and I want to draw an underline under, is Test of Honor was originally play tested and it was run through before the first edition. But then you took on all of the FAQs and um, you know all the play testing that fans you know generally run a game into the ground to see if they can break it, and you took everything out of those experiences and all the feedback from the community because you have been interacting with the community to turn around and put out the second edition, which as you say, isn't necessarily a new game, but is is a tighter rule set that is nice and smooth and certain things that maybe hadn't felt right in the first edition, like the fact that Mounted uh, Samurai maybe were a little on the vulnerable side. All of a sudden, you know, you've tightened it up and you've got it where you want it and the game, uh, is balanced from a fan's perspective, so you can play those games on the tabletop and have fun with it without people worrying about one side blowing away the other one because one faction, even though there aren't factions, or some models are way better than others. Um, so that is you know a kudos to you, and I think should be mentioned that you have spent all of that time tightening up second edition before you put it out independently.
1: Yeah, there there was a a lot of work adding in those little tweaks and balances. Um, That's probably another thing worth mentioning was the, again, I I think it's really important that people can, as I said before, just choose the models they like, to choose the image, the the characters that they want. Um, So there's a lot of work gone into making All the the different weapons types do do a different thing. They all have a different mechanic, Mm -hmm. um, but they're balanced. Um, So there's no points attached to weapons apart from missile weapons. Um, So you can literally choose the the models that you want um, without worrying about, oh, a spear is better than a katana or anything like that. Um, uh, You can... There's tactics involved in in certain weapons. So some are better in defensive positions. Some are better against armoured or unarmoured models. Um, so there's all that con- to consider. Um, but none are inherently better than another an, any of the others. Because um, I I hate it when a game kind of forces you to choose a particular weapon. Mm-hmm even and choose a particular model just because it's better. Um, That's always irritated me Um, where you feel like I need to chop chop the gun off this model because I've upgraded to a better gun. I I didn't want anything like that. Um, So there's that. Again, it's building into that free free choice and, and just choosing what looks great, what feels characterful to you. And let's
0: talk about a little bit more of that free choice um now uh you guys you know at gray for now through north star do sell um some of the old bushido models um from the oh sorry uh models from the ronin game not bushido um and then yes. you also have a series of new models that have come out um unlikely allies for example um there's there's all sorts of great new models that you have put out there but you've said that this is essentially um, almost a miniature agnostic game as well. Though you do sell models, you do want people to be able to use the samurai models and armies they've painted in their cupboards from other game systems um, or from other companies. And as a result, um, even for those of people who had first edition from uh, from Warlord, it's it's very often that when a second edition comes out, and I know a lot of people have been uh, talking about Games Workshop recently because of uh, Warhammer 40,000, the new edition, talking about how expensive it is for a new box and how you need to buy everything over again. You've done something really neat in that the board, the, the basic game for this comes with a box. It comes with 100 cards um, that you need to play the game. It comes with the dice that you need. It has the rules. It has everything you need in the box. Um, and then you can get the miniatures added on top of that or if you already own the basic game from first edition, you can just order the rule book and the cards, which have been updated. Um, so you have the second edition version, even though you don't need the dice, for example, or the models. Or you can just, if you for some reason have the rule book, like I'm holding and you need the cards, which I do, um, I can order just the cards from you. But then in addition to that, you've put out countless free PDFs of additional cards and card packs um, on top of that. So there's there's hundreds, as you said, of cards that allow for new skills, new equipment, new unit types that add on to this, but you can buy the bits and pieces that you need a la carte, um, or you can buy it as one big package and get it all at once. It's, it's really fantastic to see, uh, to, to get back into a game, to look at it and go, cool, I need this. Oh, I can just get that, uh, which you know allows people to use models from anywhere. And I know I've just given you a lot of information, but can you talk about your mentality when doing that and um, the, sort of the process of setting everything up and why you sell things that way?
1: Yeah, I think the, the main thing that motivated it was that it it was quite a it was quite a short period of time to expect people to buy a second edition um, so there was as you say the first edition did really well um sold a lot of copies and that meant ev- all of those fans who liked the game the first edition had already forked out cash. there are hard-earned cash for for a set of models and made all that effort to build them and paint them um and we didn't want to force people to go for all that again and and actually would have forcing people to pay for that to do do all that again would have probably put a lot of people off exactly Um, uh, so that was why the main reason we we put together that that gaming set which um it has one lovely little model in but it's uh Kind of a bonus model.
0: It is great, um, right?
1: So, so we didn't see it as a starter set for the game. It's that's why it's called a gaming set instead, um, because a, a hell of a lot of the existing fans um, already had their warbands. So there's there's plenty of ways to get started if you've already got the models. Uh, and there are just there's a lot of great models out there. As um, you say, we've got. Um, our own stuff, and as as well as models from a few other companies, um, on the main Test of Honor website. Uh, and there's more out there in the world if you want to go looking. Um, so there's just a lovely range of, of models that uh, are there. And and I guess the other aspect is, early on, my my, my own range, the Test of Honor range, uh, started out fairly small. It, uh, it's going to grow over time,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, but I, we needed access to to other models to, to help with that. So, uh, yeah, we're very happy for people to use whatever models they want. Um, the The cards are there, available, um, and as you say, there's a lot of free free cards to download on the website as well, which just adds you and loads more options as well.
0: Now, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, What can people look for in some of those free downloads? Because a lot of people, uh, uh, me in particular in Melbourne, uh, are trapped in lockdown conditions, You know, rightfully so. We're staying home. We're not going out. We're socially distancing. Um, And it gives us time to build up our forces and to paint models. Um, But sometimes when we have these cards, it tells us what to paint. And so what are some of the free cards that people can go to your website, um, testofhonor.com, to find?
1: Uh, they are I'm just opening my site so I can remind myself some of the things that are on there mm-hmm. um, in a lot of cases they're, they're giving you more options so they're weapon options that perhaps every time I put out a set of miniatures they always come with, with a set of cards mm-hmm. um, so you can field them you've got all the cards you need to play um, but inevitably you can't cover every single possible weapon option. Um, so, so for example, let's say the, uh, veteran Ashigaru set has the more common weapons like spears and bows and muskets. Uh, but there's a free PDF which covers Naginata and the, um, giant swords and various other weapons um, so it's essentially to give you more options um, there's also things like blank character cards if you want to invent your own hero there's, there's one with no picture so if you if you like drawing or want to create your your own your own hero cards you can do that um, and it just it just gives you lots more options and lots more, lots more scope. Yeah.
0: And then there's the clan faction card bundles where you can get enemy forces, cards, clan forces, cards, um, and you can just get card packs, which again give you even more options outside of the cards that appear in the core game.
1: Yeah. These, those generally going back to first edition again, um, Mm -hmm. Warlord published various expansion sets, so there was a set of monks, there was onna Geisha, which are the female samurai, mm-hmm. uh, there was ninjas, um, and a few others. So all those the cards for all of those couldn't fit in the main gaming set. So what we did was compile those into two more gaming sets. One of them covers All the troops that are classically loyal to the to the clans, the samurai clans, and another set which covers all the enemies. Right. Um, So, the main thing they would do; those sets are doing are covering all those different different other troop types. So, if you like ninjas or monks or Ronin, um, then those card sets are what you need.
0: Exactly. And that gives you all of that um, variety. As you say, if you have an existing collection of samurai models or you see something out there that you like, um, as you say, you got you have what four pages of models to, to, to scroll through on your site. There's a lot yes. on there. Uh, and so it allows you to really dig in and add that variability and variety to your force. Because let's be honest, um, one of the reasons that you know, test of honor besides having a great rule set is so inviting and enticing is that, um, the, the model, the modeling opportunities, both from a terrain standpoint and from the, the actual models on the tabletop, uh, feudal Japan really gives people uh, a wonderful opportunity to dig in and, and get really creative and paint in a way that you wouldn't normally, Use color palettes you wouldn't normally use if you are just painting, quote-unquote, generic historical miniatures. Uh, There's bright, vibrant colors. There's really interesting uh, patterns that need to be painted on in some cases. You can keep it simple, or you can get really ornate. So not only does this allow you, the, the card selection allow you to really dig in and get creative with the, the force you're creating. But because forces are, what, 10, 14 models aside, you really can spend the time. Um, once you find the model that you want to put in your warband, you can spend that time and effort to really make it sing, so to speak. Uh, really put that effort in because you only have to paint so few models. You don't have to paint two hundred samurai. You need two, and then a variety of people to go with them.
1: Yes, it is. I mean, it is a beautiful style. The whole the, the feudal Japanese style is. I just really appeals to me as it's, it's very stylized. Um, lots of beautiful beautiful shapes. The curved swords. Um, the the sashimono, which are the, the flags that mm-hmm. a lot of them wore on their backs to identify them in battle. Uh, is a, And and the patterns on the cloth and the material, as you say, are, are fantastic to paint. Well, a bit fiddly for, for me personally, but there's amazing examples out there. Um, uh, and and equally, the terrain is very distinctive, the building styles. uh the the Tory gates that mm-hmm. mark the entrance to a to a temple um, onto sacred ground you can create a very distinctive battlefield um, which just looks like nothing else
0: agreed agreed and it and it surprisingly doesn't take much again because it's a skirmish game it's a smaller board size uh, three by three correct
1: yes that's right yeah, um,
0: yeah so if you have a green mat. If you have a hill and some trees, um, all you would need is a couple of buildings, um, maybe a, a, a pack of a wall, or uh, they, you, I know that there are, through Sarissa, which, who you guys sell through as well through your website, they have like a, a cart, and you can get rice bales, and you can add just a few bits and pieces, and all of a sudden... Your table, which may have been a World War Two table five minutes ago, is feudal Japan in a really visually stunning way.
1: Yes, it doesn't it doesn't take much. Um, um, uh, a lot of it's quite classic to paint paint things in red for for Japanese stuff. Um, and you, yes, as you say, you don't need much to convert your table if you've got existing generic bits and bobs. Um, and again, of course, the more you add to that, the more characterful the story mm-hmm. feels.
0: Exactly. And you can have, I mean, just through your website there, are, you have a castle, you have an, an entire, uh, you have ma, Mount, uh, hi, hi, it's hard for me to read English, re, uh, English lettering for Japanese words. I, I have a hard time pronouncing he temple, um, <laughs> I don't pretend to know how yeah. to pronounce it. If it was it's written no in comment. hiragana, I could read it. Um, you have pagodas, you have samurai houses, you have temple gateways, dragon houses. Uh, I mean, the number of just basic wall and fence sets, uh, just little huts. And that's just the first page. And of course, there's page upon page upon page of scenery. And again, you don't need a ton. Just a couple of pieces to add on, and you are, you know, you're right in there. But if you really want to go to town uh, and have different terrain to match the missions that you are playing on the tabletop, that is really easy to do. Um, And let's talk about that because in first edition, one of the things I like about second edition. Um, a lot of the... When you bought a pack of models in 1st Edition, there was a little booklet in each one um, that had the rules for the models that were in the box, but it also had uh, a series of missions or uh, scenarios that tied directly to those models. Um, and so it, it was very narratively focused as, as far as that goes, but you had to buy those boxes to get those scenarios. With 2nd Edition... Because you've gone with the more open world, um, just get your cards and you're ready to go. The basic rulebook includes, if, correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm adding this up wrong, 18 scenarios um, that players can work through, adapt, and then there's other additional scenarios in other places that they can add to, really adding to an incredible amount of replayability of just the basic scenarios in
1: the book. Yes, I think the in first edition we deliberately limited the rules in the box to two very small little pamphlets. I think I think they were sixteen pages and twelve pages long. Right. Um, so the the new rule book is seventy two pages, so all that kind of materials and and, and rules that have been developed so throughout first edition have all gone into a much chunkier rule book. Uh, as you say, there's I think 18 scenarios um, and there's a, a linked story in there so you can play play through a uh, a kind of characterful story uh, of trying to res- rescue a, a geisha spy um, and a huge huge variety of Different other scenarios as well. You've got assassinations, Mm -hmm. uh, attacks on on a shrine, undercover raids. You've got night fighting, um, rules for opponents that are unaware they're being attacked. So you can do sneaking around with your ninja and uh, trying to take out people before they've realized you're there. Um, there's, There's loads of material in there.
0: As you were saying each one of those, I was literally in my head seeing scenes from samurai drama that I watched growing up and going, I've seen that, I've seen that, I've yeah. seen that. It, a- every single example, and as I was flipping through the missions last night, I was going, yep, yep, I've seen that, yep, I've seen that. Ooh, I've seen that like five or six dozen times. Um, but again, everything in this feels right. Um, but in addition to that, you've also given the rules if people want to play larger games. If you want to play beyond 10, 20 models, if you want to go big, um, you have given people rules to play big battles. You've also uh, got rules in here for multiple-player games uh, and other weird, you know, unusual scenarios. So the game really is not just your standard one v one skirmish game like you really have put a lot of thought into this to make it a a game that is playable by many people in many places in many ways Um, which is something that a lot of games you know which much thicker rule books uh, can't do so it's very well done and the fact that you've added that depth um, is I'm sure loved by players who play this game
1: yeah, I think you know. Inevitably, different players like to play in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, some people just want to go big. Some people have always have three people, so they want to do multiplayer. Um, uh, there was a there was a group of players in first edition who liked kind of creating their decks, kind of treating it as a like a deck build game. Mm-hmm. Um, which isn't the, the standard way of playing, but um, but as long as both players are doing that, then that's cool too. So we've, we've put in a, a little bit about how to do that. Um, uh, there's, if you want to create more of a campaign, uh, there's, there's rules for what happens after each battle and an aftermath table where you can have permanent injuries or extra training and learning new skills. Um, uh, there's rules for weather and betrayals. There's possibly the possibility of, of one of your troops switching sides in the middle of, ba- of the battle because he's betrayed mm-hmm. you. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of stuff in there and, uh, just, just to take it and and play the game you want to play.
0: Exactly, exactly.
1: Well, um, there are a
0: couple of mechanics in the game that we haven't touched on that I think uh, definitely are worth talking about. Um, one is uh, groups of warriors. Now, it's something that you don't often see in the scenario games, where you almost have units within a sorry within a, within a skirmish. Um, Sorry, a skirmish game, not a scenario game. Long day. So by saying that, um, what's nice to see is a samurai, uh, you know, your your big chunky hero, can face off against three ashigaru with spear um, standing in a group. Um, and they have a, a specific base that all three of their bases slots into. So it's almost like a mini movement tray. Um that samurai has to think twice before charging it. You need to make those decisions because charging three guys at once can be dangerous.
1: Yeah, that's true. It's um, a very basic level. It was a way to speed up the game. Mm. Um, So before we came up with that plan, um, we inevitably had loads of, of follower low-level follower guys, as you say, Ashigaru with spears running around the table, um, just took a long time to wade through the game. Mm-hmm. And grouping them together on those those little little trays um, speeded things up massively, uh, and just created a much nicer gaming experience. Um, as you say, they have their 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 quite a lot tougher because you have to chop through three guys rather mm-hmm. than one um uh but uh, one of the aspects of the game is that you never get locked into combat
0: that's right
1: um uh, i really wanted to capture that feel of the the swirling melee when the samurais spinning around cutting one guy turns cuts someone in different direction jumps up somewhere else and Mm -hmm. jumps somewhere else um so never get locked into combat there's i didn't want that kind of static bogged down thing that you get in some games um uh so that being said it does take a while to actually kill the, the the whole of a those groups of three um they're more survivable um so they they have their own advantages um they're also they're more vulnerable to bow fire. uh but uh, a group with spears is better against cavalry so you have various tactical options and things they're better at things they're worse at nice
0: yeah, and they can be whittled down as well. It's not like you have to kill the entire group at once. Um, you yes. can lose guys out of it, and then as and they degrade as they lose guys, which makes sense because they're less effective. Well, let's talk about another aspect of the game that really does help sort of lean into that cinematic narrative feel that you were talking about, and that's the fact that the game has bespoke dice. Um, now, it's really easy for game systems uh to sort of get lost in the math of things sometimes and you're like when you're trying to figure out modifiers and this that and the other thing you end up do i count up do i count down how many do i count by how many results what do i need to hit on this dice test of honor has none of that because you are rolling bespoke dice that have swords on it and they have x's and explain the dice mechanic and how it works for folks because it's a really fascinating mechanic that you know we've seen bespoke dice in other games, but this is this takes a slightly different turn on it that is really cool to see.
1: Uh, yeah, it's a it's a fairly straightforward idea. Um, essentially, the dice have the dice sides either have one or two swords, uh, or a blank or a cross. Right. Uh, the cross is obviously bad, swords are good. Um, so any kind of thing you're trying to do, if you're trying to aim accurately or run your sword through somebody or maybe climb a wall, there'll be a test to roll uh, on one of your ability stats. Um, so if your aim stat is three, you will roll three dice. Um, if your aim stat is five, you roll five dice. Mm-hmm. Um, and a success always requires three swords. Um, so very simple to learn. More dice you have, the better off. The more like you are to, likely you are to pass that test. Right. Um, so super simple. It's very visual. You can see instantly whether you've done well, because there's a big swathe of, of swords on the table. Right. Um, uh, Or if you've rolled lots of crosses, then you've clearly messed up. Mm -hmm. Um, So when we came up with that, it was very visual. It's very quick and easy to see how well you've done. Um, The other aspect that we built in is if you... Well, you need three swords to pass the test. If you roll five swords, then something extra good happens.
0: Yes.
1: Um, So... Every weapon then has kind of a special special effect that Mm -hmm. kicks in when you roll five swords. Um, So that's where you build in all the different effects of the weapons. Um, That's also how you go on that killing spree rampage move. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you kill someone with five swords, then you get to attack again. Um, So if you're doing really well, and the hero generally rolls... Uh, five or more dice for most of his Mm rolls can do that reasonably often. Um, And if you're having a good day, you can have some really spectacular moves. Um, The flip side of that is if you roll more crosses than swords, then you've done some sort of fumble. Um, So it's possible to uh, slip over and fall to the ground. It's possible for your, enemy to get quick jab in instead when you were trying to attack him. Um, uh, perhaps your, your musket has jammed things like that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's kind of trying to add to that story. Exactly. Exactly.
0: Well, let's, let's speaking of that story, let's talk about the secret project that you've just revealed. Uh, the Sengoku attachment uh or an expansion it's a book that's coming out in uh in what three or four months and it is a whole great big expansion you talked about the rule book being 72 pages this is an 80 page expansion uh to test of honor tell us about it because this sounds really cool
1: so the core of the sengoku book is well we should probably just Explain what Sengoku is. Yes, uh, the Sengoku is the period in Japan. Um, it was 150 years long when basically the government broke down and all the different clans started fighting each other as big civil war. Um, and that is when the game is set. Um, uh, it's also the period where muskets started being introduced whereas before that the bow was prevalent so you have that crossover Um, so it's a really interesting dynamic period in Japanese history Mm. Um, so the new book really explores in more detail all the different clans in that period that's the core of it Um, so we've taken. 12 of the most famous, interesting clans that were involved in the period. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you will now have individual rules for the different clans. So if you want uh, the Takeda clan uh, for your force, they were particularly famous for their cavalry. So they'll have bonuses for their cavalry. Um, If you want that Shimazu clan that we mentioned before, they'll have bonuses when they're honourable. Um, and there's, as I say, there's 12 diff- different, clans there to choose from. And they're all got interesting, different characters, um, and different rules that we're adding in. That's so cool. Um, it's also given me a chance to dig into the, the history more. Uh, so the main rule book just literally has two pages of, of overview, uh, in terms of history. Um, for the expansion, I've managed to write write a section about each of those clans and provide some, some detail and some stories about them. Um, and if you if you read it through in order, it kind of creates the, the, the whole history of the period from, from the early things that happened to the, the clans that finally managed to pull things together and conquer all the rest and Pull Japan back into into entity.
0: Brilliant.
1: Um, so there's lots more detail. Each uh, each clan will get uh, new abilities. Um, they'll also have. Um, we mentioned the skills that you get during the game before. They'll have skills that they that that clan favours. Um, so if you manage to collect a lot of those skills, then you'll get bonuses for that. Um, so it's it's creating an extra level of detail of interest. Um, uh, if you want to add that extra detail and, and dig into a particular clan. Now, this doesn't mean you suddenly have to just stick to Ashigaru and Samurai. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I, I don't want to lose that idea of uh, being able to have the, an eclectic mix of troops in your force. You can still do all of that. Um, all the clans used had allies. They had they recruited Ronin. They persuaded the monks to come and fight with them. Um, so there's plenty of reason to still have those those mixed forces if that's what you want, or you can just have a dedicated military-looking force, whatever you wish. Um, I mean, a lot
0: can happen in 150 years, right? And in this absolutely, case, it absolutely did.
1: Yes. Um, yeah, there's also the option in the new book to to have a, a force of Ronin, a force of monks, uh, a force of bandits, if you want. Um, so we've included those. If you If you really kind of don't want to do a... particular clan you can still stick with your the other options they're still there as well um so we've got that as the core of the book um there's also it's looking like 20 new scenarios wow Um, and uh each i've each of the scenarios is kind of inspired by one of the clans Um, So they're not restricted to those particular clans. But, uh, for example, there's um, one of of the scenarios is opening some floodgates. And this actually happened with the, uh, I don't know about pronounce my pronunciation, but the Yusugi clan Mm -hmm. uh, were fighting uh, against the Oda clan, I think. Um, There was a large battle happening downstream and the Yusugi, sent some men upstream, opened some floodgates and flooded the river um, and kind of washing away loads of the odour troops. So there's a scenario inspired by that way of trying, battling to try and open the floodgates. Um, We've got one where you're in the middle of a tea ceremony and two sides sitting down having tea. when one of them decides to attack the other and suddenly everything breaks out um, so we mentioned to cater with the cavalry so there's there's a scenario which is uh kind of a lightning strike where you need to try and get in fast and uh grab a load of baggage and ride off with it before you can be stopped um, so there's there's loads more stuff um, all very story-driven. Um, nice. Another aspect of of the expansion is using allies. So now we have rules for specific clans. Mm-hmm. Um, when you when you set up a battle for a Sengoku game, um, you'll also take some allies from another clan. So you'll have access to some of their rules as well. So there's some interesting decision to make so whether which abilities you want for your clan, what will, what, who will it pair with, pair well with, um, and what abilities you'll get from your allies. Um, obviously you can draw that from historical allies if you want if you want to go that route. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to add in a, a lot more depth there.
0: That's great. Yeah. I mean just the you've just I mean, there was a lot in the seventy two page book that I was going, wow, this has tons of repayability. But the second that you start digging into just the the Sengoku book and what's in it, um, it's it's mind boggling the possibilities. Yeah, there's just
1: it's just so many uh, I, it's all really inspired by researching the book, and it was just became <laughs> became very easy to come up with these scenarios because mm. there's so many great stories. Um, there's uh, again a lot of them are straight out of out, out of historical stories. There's uh, one where you're sneaking into the back of the castle, to, sneaking through the inside of the castle to open the gate so the main army can. Can storm in, and again that that happened. Um, uh, there's there's one where the out al- the people you thought were your, were your allies right. suddenly switched side right at the beginning of the battle. Uh, so they've de- so they're deployed right next to you and they're attacking you. Um, there's there's just so many cool ideas here, um, and I'm really excited to get it out in the world.
0: Um. I mean, it really does. I mean, having listened to quite a few Japanese... uh, The History of Japan podcast is one of my favorites, actually, to listen when I go to work. Um, And just hearing this... They have a fantastic run of uh, podcast episodes about... um, the period when Samurai would be around, but the Sengoku period in particular, they do have st- uh, quite a few episodes about that. But then reading about these things as well, you hear these stories and quite a few of th- the stories that you just mentioned um, have been mentioned on that podcast and that I've read in other stories. But there's countless others. And as you read these or hear these, you think, God, only in Japan. Um, and then, I mean, how often would you have a battle, you know, break out over a, a, a cup of tea anywhere or in a tea house anywhere else in the world? It, it probably wouldn't happen. Uh, and so to have a game that allows you to tell out the stories of feudal Japan uh, and the fact that you're leaning into that so heavily and pulling, f- you know, adding 20 new scenarios, all of which are based on history, it's just awesome. The
1: yeah, do- yeah. Um, um- I'm really excited about this new book, and um, uh, it is. I'm currently getting uh, all these scenarios play-tested by lots of willing volunteers. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully, it, it won't be too long before I can get it get it printed and and on sale.
0: Brilliant. And you have, I know, COVID willing. It's hard to say. Um, I know on your website you've said autumn for the northern hemisphere. Uh, any idea ballpark when the Sengoku book might make an appearance? Uh, or too early to tell, given the, what's
1: going it, yeah, on in the I, world. I I'd certainly, with, but this autumn I would say. Yeah. Um, but I, I can't. I can't be more specific than that. No, that, that, that is yet.
0: totally fine. Believe me, the, we get it uh graham thank you so much it has been an honor to have you on uh to pardon the stealing the word from the name of your game um it has been great just to talk shop and to to hear about how great this game is and how it leans directly into the historical period that so many of us are interested in so uh thank you very much for your time and thank you for telling us about test of honor
1: today thank you we are very welcome
0: Well, guys, I know a lot of you have been playing uh, the video game Ghost of Tsushima. I believe that's how you pronounce that. Um, And I've had quite a few requests recently of, am I going to be talking about Test of Honor? Well, yes, here we are. Um, But I also have had several other requests for several uh, other topics, and I will try and get to those soon. Um, COVID willing, uh, it depends on when people are available. But please uh, keep... Thank you for listening and please contact me if you have any ideas uh, for any games you'd like me to cover or topics or just things you want to talk about. I've had several people reach out recently to say they want uh, me to talk about something having to do with um, positive mindset or, uh, you know, positive psychology, talking about how to be happier in these crazy times. And while I'm absolutely not an expert in that Um, I think I will probably be tackling something around that soon. And I've had several people asking if I'm doing anything wacky, given that our 100th episode is around the corner. Uh, We do have a couple old guests who are coming back. So, yes, yes, gang, there are there is a few things up the sleeve. If you would like to contact me, uh, my name is Brad. Hi, you can reach me by going to Facebook and going to cast dice, C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. Um, If you type that in, you will find the Cast Dice podcast. I'm the only one that answers uh, any correspondence that goes to that Facebook page and uh, you're guaranteed a response no matter what you send. So thank you very much. Please message if you have any questions, if you have any problems, if you have any suggestions. I'd love to hear from you. And thank you so much to everyone who's reached out recently Uh, when hearing about Melbourne shutting down and locking down again Yes, I am doing remote learning again. And yes, that has directly impacted the YouTube channel because I don't have the studio set up anymore because I'm teaching online. But uh, yes, the podcast will continue. We are, we are well. Thank you for reaching out. Uh, I guess that just leaves us with uh, what our good buddy Casey always says at times like this. And that would be when you are playing the games that we know and love. I hope that your dice roll hot. I hope your beverages are cold. But we at Cast Ice, more than anything else, hope that you are having fun. Stay safe out there, guys. Good night.